Okay, we are finishing up our Advent series with looking at Jesus as our Prince of Peace, our Prince of Peace. So we're in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. If you're able to stand, why don't you stand as we read the passage together? Isaiah 9, 6, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the time that we've been able to just explore all the different attributes of who you are. And so we ask that you would bless us tonight, that you would just illuminate the things you want us to understand and appreciate of you. May you bless our time tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Christmas Eve is just three days away. Isn't that hard to imagine? All this preparation, planning, three days away. Christmas Day is four days away. And, um, you know, we can find it hard with just so many days. Just, we can just count it on, on one hand of Christmas coming up, that it can be very stressful, can it not? Although we think of Jesus as the Prince of Peace, and we can think of this time as very stressful, it seems like sort of an oxymoron. And um, we can easily divert our attention away from the true meaning of Christmas because we can be so busy and consumed with this Christmas season. And that seems kind of funny. But things can be stressful. And a recent survey revealed that 88% of Americans feel the holiday season is the most stressful time of year. Maybe that's you. 77% of respondents say that they have a very hard time relaxing during the holidays and usually end up feeling more stressed and more worn down than ever. The biggest sources of anxiety, well, extra financial strain, 56%. Finding gifts for everyone, 48%. You've got to have that special gift for that special person. And that brings stress, right? Stressful family events, can you imagine? 35%. And putting up decorations came in at 29%. I don't know what that's like. Maybe it's because I'm nervous about hanging Christmas Lights on my tree, on my uh, awning of my house, I'm on one leg. Maybe that's what it's about. I'm not sure, but that came near the top. Other telling statistics include 43% say their schedules become jam-packed during the holidays. How many would say they're within that 43%? No hands. You guys are, okay, a couple of hands. There are some honest people. We have some honest people tonight. Great. And ultimately, 59% would characterize their typical holiday season as chaotic. Chaotic is the term they would use. The point is that when we take our attention away from Jesus, we divert our attention to other things. And we can um, lose our opportunity to, to focus in the right place and we can fall away from that in the busyness of this Christmas season and it can lead us to potentially fall into sin. We can become irritable and depressed and anxious and feel hopeless and we can do and say things that we may later regret because of how things are. We can stand in line, long lines at the store and just maybe say something that's uh, not too pleasing to the person next in the line to us and, and have regrets about that or whatever it may be. And so my head can say it's Christmas, but does my heart say it's Christmas? Are we experiencing true peace just three days away from Christmas Eve? Where are we tonight within that? 
And we're missing a few people tonight, and maybe they're out there doing that last-minute shopping, and maybe they're in the hustle and bustle. Maybe they're stuck on the freeway, because everybody's on the freeway, going from place to place with um, different things they've got to do. And so as we conclude this Advent season, we are going to look at the time that Isaiah was with the Jews, what he was communicating to them, or we're going to sort of see that overarching into our time and day today in light of Jesus being the true Prince of Peace. And so Isaiah means Yahweh as salvation. And Isaiah was commissioned by God to preach mainly to Judah. He did preach to uh, Israel a little bit, but mostly to Judah in a time of very intense fear and chaos. And um, he prophesied for between 50 and 60 years during the reign of four kings, as we know, Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Now, the job of a prophet was not too thrilling. Not anybody would say, I want to be a prophet because the people are going to listen to me. They're going to just say, hey, you're a prophet. You're speaking on behalf of God. And so they're going to gather around and they're going to take notes and say, I'm going to obey whatever God wants. And and the, the prophets are going to be held at this high esteem. No, prophets in most cases were very ridiculed and they were lonely and they were persecuted and they experienced a lot of heartache. Speaking the truth because God loved his people, but yet they were rejected, right? And so this is Isaiah speaking. And uh, God used prophets by the fact that kings... And priests, who were the primary people that God originally used to speak his truth, uh, they didn't do such a good job. You know, we think of uh, Eli, the priest, and his sons, and they were described in Scripture as worthless men. How would you like to have that as your, as your uh, mantra? Worthless so-and-so, a worthless man or woman. But yet that's how they represented God. And we know that Ahaz as well was worthless also. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. Despicable things led people astray, away from God, didn't trust the Lord. And so Isaiah was there to speak the truth to the Jews, to tell them that they were going the wrong direction. And in Isaiah 5, verses 8 to 23, he gives a list of things that they're doing wrong. Now, you tell me as I'm reading some of these things if this doesn't translate into today. Selfish greed, intellectual pride, self-sufficiency, self-indulgence, lack of moderation or restraint, materialism, moral perversion, loss of integrity. These are things that Isaiah was saying to the Jews at that time. And I would submit to you, it ain't no different today. And so, amen, yes, Brother Bert. Judah was a mess. No peace. And it's sad because when we read this passage that Isaiah is saying here, he's talking about this child, the hope of the child being born. And, and we read the wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. And you would think that the Jews would say, man, I'm, I'm with you. I'm going to turn around because this is exciting stuff. But yet, Isaiah was rejected. And that's very unfortunate. And I would say that our media, our culture, rejects the message as well. Wouldn't you think? And so if we consider this time of Advent, these remaining days as we're concluding this Advent season, we've got a short time before we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. We should be locked, focused on really this expectancy because Advent means expectancy and preparation for the celebration of Jesus' birth. You think of an expectancy of a baby and you think of the preparation for a baby? Where's, where's Pastor Alex? He's here somewhere. He's around, yes. So, you know, he's got a baby coming in the next few weeks. And I know just by talking to him, 
His office is next to mine. There's a lot of discussion about the baby that's coming. He wants to make sure everything's fine. Everything's going to be in order. And shouldn't that be our heart as well? This expectancy and excitement of the coming of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And this preparation. And it's less about decorating a tree preparation. It's more about preparation in our heart. And I would ask the question, is our heart prepared to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ? Or are we preoccupied with so many things going on that we kind of miss the point and then we, quote unquote, celebrate Christmas and put everything away and wait till next year. And then it's like we kind of get in a funk, right? Because we've kind of missed that, the essence of why we're celebrating Christmas in the first place. So now we want to talk about briefly who Jesus is. And Pastor Shane really discussed this uh, when he talked about uh, wonderful counselor. And this is, look with me, verse 6, the first line. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, so the government will rest on her shoulders. The child, meaning that Jesus was born into humanity. Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as yet, as we are yet without sin. He knows what we're going through. He was tempted. He was hungry. He was tired. And so he underscores, it underscores his humanity. He, he lived the life that, that we did, so he understands where we're coming from. A son will be given to us, son of the Holy Father. Jesus came as the son of God. God in human flesh to conquer sin and death forever to give us peace with God. And the government will rest on his shoulders. That affirms his lordship. You know, the world's going to submit to his authority. Daniel 2.44 says, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Amen? Hey, there's going to be no politician, no senator or president that's going to bring peace. Hate to tell you that. <laughs> Jesus will fix everything. He will be the remedy. Now, when we speak of peace, we need to define peace. Now, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines peace as a state of tranquility or quiet. Doesn't that sound great? I mean, you may see the commercial, Calgon, take me away. I want peace. I want to just turn on the, the nice, easy music. I want to dim the lights. I just want to get in that hot bathtub and just turn the world off. Then I'll have peace. There's another definition of peace, which is a state or a period in which there will be no war. And we hear about peace in the Middle East or peace in these different regions or whatever it may be. But peace in the Bible is different. You see, biblical peace is more than just the absence of a conflict in a country or a state of rest. It means a completeness or a wholeness within us, and it points to the presence of actually something else. Biblical peace is taking action to restore I'll say, a broken situation within us. Now, in Hebrew, the word peace in Scripture is the word, we all know it, shalom, right? And we may say during this time of Christmas season, shalom. And that's perfectly correct. We can say shalom to one another, peace. And the word shalom in the Old Testament is used 237 times. And so there was a lot of peace giving going on back in the Old Testament. Now, Dr. Seekins in the Hebrew word picture defines peace in the Bible as this, to destroy the authority that establishes, establishes chaos. I want to read that again. 
to destroy the authority that establishes chaos. Now, we talked about we're in chaotic times right now, right? 59% said that their typical holiday season is chaotic. And I had mentioned that the Jews, at the time that Isaiah spoke to them, were experiencing intense fear and chaos. And chaos has many different words. Disorder, disarray, disorganization, confusion, Mayhem, pandemonium, havoc, turmoil, disruption, upheaval, uproar. Any of those words ring a bell in your life these days? Maybe at work, maybe in your family, maybe between your friends or in any situation. Maybe one of these rings a bell. You see, chaos is ultimately brought about by sin. That's the genesis of chaos, it's sin. And we see this in many examples. I mean, we can lash out our spouse, lash out at our spouse for something insignificant and it brings forth an argument and distress and, you know, this kind of relationship, which is turmoil. Or we can zigzag down the freeway at 80 plus miles an hour. Hopefully you're not one of those people. If not, there's counseling available for you. Um, and maybe we rear in somebody, we're trying to get some, somewhere quicker, but now we have to deal with the insurance companies and a ticket and all those things. And there's chaos there as well. And on and on it goes. But chaos is brought about by sin. But God has dealt with our ultimate root cause of chaos by sending Jesus to pay our sin debt. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? that Jesus conquered death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You see, Jesus is our shalom. He's the ultimate fulfillment of this well-known word. And through Jesus, we have peace. And peace is with God and peace comes from God. And you know, Jesus modeled peace. He was the epitome of peace. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. You know, I miss the sound of pages turning. I know a lot of you have electronic devices. That's okay. Luke chapter 1 starting with verse 67. And this talks about Zacharias. And, you know, he is doubted that Elizabeth is going to be able to bear a child in her old age, right? And so he doubts it, and the angel quiets him. He cannot say anything. And then on the sixth day after John is born, they're looking for a name, which is not uncommon, that on the day of circumcision, the child would be given a name and he inscribes on a tablet, his name will be John. And the angel opens up his lips and people are amazed at the fact that he can speak. And so now they want to hear what he has to say. And what does he say, starting with verse 67? And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. And this is a New Testament prophecy saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, Isaiah being one, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath which he has swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And now he turns to John, his son, and he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise 
from on high shall visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. And why? To guide our feet into the way of peace. That is why he came. That is why um, Zachariah said this. And remember, Jesus has not been born yet. He's soon to be born, so this is a prophecy that Zacharias brought. And so we see that Jesus, as he's coming to be born, brought peace to guide our way into peace, our feet into the way of peace. And we think of a baby sleeping in a manger, right? How peaceful babies are when they're sleeping. Uh, in most cases, I know they wake up every two hours and cry and stuff. But when they're sleeping, Shane can attest to this as he's, Sometimes Melody sleeps at, at night. <laughs> and we sing, silent night, holy night, sleep in heavenly peace. It's just this somber song that we think about because when these songs are written, there's a peace about the fact that he is here. He has brought forth now to bring peace. And so we celebrate that. Hark the herald, peace on earth and mercy mild. And on and on it goes. You probably know other hymns that were written about the peace of the coming and the presence of Jesus Christ. And so he brought peace at his birth. Turn with me to Mark chapter 4 now. Back one book. Looking at verse 35. Because as an adult, Jesus modeled peace in the midst of turmoil. It says this, 435. And on that day when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to them, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the multitude, they took him along with them, just as he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. What's it say? And there arose a fierce gale of wind and the waves were breaking over the boat so much of that boat was already filling up. And he himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And being aroused, or we'll say they kind of nudged him to wake him up, he rebuked the wind and the sea. Hush, be still. And the wind died down and became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you so timid? How is it that you have no faith? And they become, became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him. You must love this scene, right? I mean, the, the wind is blowing and the boat is just floating all over the place and the, the, um, the water is just crashing over the boat and, you know, they probably have buckets maybe on the boat that they're trying to get rid of the water so the boat's not sinking. And where's Jesus? He's, he's sleeping on this cushion or pillow and he's, I don't know if he snores or not, but, you know, he's perfectly asleep and... They're just, he's not even hearing them make noise, you know. They're probably just screaming and yelling, their hair's on fire, running all over the place. That they're going to die, and, and there he is sleeping. And so they got to shake him and wake him up, and what's he says? Hush, be still, and maybe he just goes back to sleep. I don't know. <laughs> but if he was at peace, why were they not at peace as well? That's the point. That's why he says, how is it you have no faith? It makes me think about where we're at. If Jesus is at peace, why do we have to worry, right? If Jesus has conquered sin and death, and he's done so much for us, sometimes we worry about the littlest things, right? But Jesus says, hey, don't worry. If Jesus is is at peace, then we shouldn't have no worries. And so his life modeled peace in the, in the midst of turmoil. 
What an awesome scene that we can think about and to say, hey, if he's, if he's got it figured out and he's not worried, if the, if the Prince of Peace is not worried, I shouldn't be worried, right? And then as one leaving the upper room to be crucified, Jesus gave out his peace. John 14, 27, peace I leave you, peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Do I give you, do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Jesus is in the upper room. He's with his disciples. They've been together for three and a half years. He's got this intimate relationship with them. You know, he washed their feet. He taught them about humility. He announced that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody comes to the Father but through him. He promised them the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then he made this promise of peace. He gave out his peace. Peace I leave with you. Peace I give you. And he says, don't let your heart be troubled. And he's basically saying to them, the world's going to be at odds with you. Don't fret. Don't be consumed by the things of this world. I, I am giving you my peace. That's all you need. Don't let all these other peripheral things go on in your life because you can easily be consumed by that. And that can happen to us today, right? We can turn on the news. And I'll tell you, in like 30 seconds, you're already going to be in distress, right? <laughs> it can happen that fast. And Jesus is saying, I am giving you my peace. Don't fear. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be fearful. Don't be swayed by all the shifting sand of this world. Focus on me. That's all you need to do. Keep your eyes firmly on me and you're going to do good. You're going to have joy in your heart. You're going to have peace in your heart. And so he gave out his peace at that time. And then at the resurrection, Jesus commissioned peace under his authority. Uh, turn with me to John 20. Turn to the right to John 20. Verse 19, so when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me to bring peace, I also send you. And so imagine that scene too. The disciples were hiding. The doors were shut. They were afraid. I mean, Jesus had just been crucified and they were probably envisioning in their mind 11 crosses being erected waiting for them. And so they're probably just shaking, not knowing what to do. And then Jesus shows up and he says, peace be with you. Can you imagine what an encouragement that was to them to see their beloved Jesus risen from the dead after they saw him crucified. And there he was and he showed them his hands and his feet. And yes, that was Jesus. But then he gives them a commission. He gives them a charge and he says, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I also send you. You see, Jesus was going to go to the Father. But yet there was a responsibility for the disciples. He says, I also send you to bring forth peace to others. And Verse 22 says that when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This is a, a commissioning for them. And so the question is, is that not our responsibility as Christians to bring and communicate and encourage people with the peace of God? And can we do that even during this Christmas season? Even more so, right? Right? People are a little more attuned to this. 
Some maybe not. But this is a commission for us. It's not, well, let the pastors do this. But we are all ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And so we all have a responsibility to bring peace to a world that's decaying. And so Jesus modeled this. He was the epitome of peace from the time he was a baby to the time that he rose from the dead. Peace was his middle name, so to speak. And so Jesus brings peace to our current day in, in two ways. He, he offers peace from God to all who are recipients of her grace. Think of this as a kind of a top-down peace from God. God gives us his peace, and this is related to our salvation. Now, Romans 5.10 is rather sobering because it says that sin has made us enemies of God. Now, I was thinking about that the other day. I was thinking, an enemy of God? I don't want to be an enemy of God for like one millisecond. And then I thought, I know a lot of people who are not Christians, and I should probably think of them as enemies of God. That should encourage me to reach them a little more intently, that they are enemies of God. What a terrible position that they have in terms of their relationship. And Jesus died to give our peace Romans 5.10 says that we're reconciled to God through Jesus' shed blood. We're reconciled to him. We're no longer enemies of God. God gives us peace through the reconciled, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave the gift, we'll say, of his son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that's really what it's all about. It's our salvation that God gives us, this free gift. But we have to accept it, right? We have to accept this gift. And so we don't want to be enemies, but we can be reconciled through Jesus' blood. But not only peace from God, but Jesus brings peace with God for those who surrender to him in faith. And so Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it doesn't mean basically that we can just say, okay, Jesus, now I've, I've said the sinner's prayer, now I've got salvation, and now I can do whatever I want. I can hang that baptismal uh, certificate on my wall and go about my business and do whatever I want to do. Um, because that's going to not bring peace with me and God. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says it very well. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be uh, made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, being anxious would be the opposite of having peace, would you say? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Now, we know what prayer is, but what about supplication? We hear the word supplication. But supplication is from the Latin verb supplicare, and it means to plead humbly, and what does that mean? So if we're, if we're, we're praying and, and, and we're supplicating, I'll say, the prayer go, doesn't go like this. God, I want everything that, that I need. Just uh, I want this and I want that and I, I want this job and, and that kind of a thing. That's not a humility type of prayer. A type of prayer in humility would be, Lord, may your will be done. May your will be done in my life. If there's anything in my life that I am not doing that is glorifying to you, may you 
bring it out so that I can see it, so I can address it, so I can confess it to you, so I can pound it flat and, and get rid of it because I want to be in good standing and good relationship with you, Lord. If there's something I don't understand that's going on in my life, help give me wisdom. Give me encouragement so that I can understand what's going on. Carry me through those dark times that I can look back and see your hand in it and give you the glory in it. This is what we're talking about. This gives us this surrender to his will, this relationship. And who modeled that perfectly? It was Jesus, right? How many times did he break away from all the stuff that was going on and go away to be with his father? And sometimes the disciples looked and go, oh, there's Jesus going up to be with his father again. That's a pretty good example. And I think to myself, how many times do I break away from my daily routine even as a pastor, and just say, you know, I need to spend time with the Lord by prayer and supplication and to say, Lord, have your way with me and speak to me. And, um, you know, worship can be part of that too, just giving all to the Lord and just listening and having that relationship. And what does that do? That puts us in a position where we... Don't become anxious anymore because we know God is in control. And it allows us to have a peace to know that he's got everything covered. We may not understand it. We may not like everything that goes on, but we know that God is in control. And if we're submitting to his will, then there should be peace. Amen? And so that helps our daily focus. And so... Jesus brings, he offers peace from God through our salvation, but he brings peace with God as we surrender to him. So it's a top-down, it's a bottom-up peace, and it works together very well. Now, turn with me to Matthew 10. Verse 34. And so here's the setting. Jesus has basically assembled his team of disciples and he's wanting them to understand what's ahead for them, what they're going to be involved in. He gives them the mission. He tells them about being a servant. He tells them about suffering. He tells them that they're going to be hated for what they're doing and he tries to encourage them. And then... He says this to them. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now you may be thinking, now wait, we just talked about Jesus being the prince of peace. It says that, doesn't that right there, prince of peace. But he says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Does that conflict? with what we just read in Isaiah? Well, no, we need to think about what the setting is. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. And we know that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. You remember, they were looking for peace in terms of uh, somebody that would take them out of Roman occupation, right? The, the Romans were controlling everything, and, and they were under the stress and being persecu persecuted by the Romans. And so they wanted delivery from the Romans. They wanted that kind of political peace and earthly peace. But the primary purpose to bring peace was between God and sinners rooted in Christ's death and, and resurrection. That was the kind of peace that Jesus was bringing. And so he's saying, I did not come to bring the political kind of peace. And remember, everybody was just cheering. Remember as, as uh, Palm Sunday, everybody was just cheering. Here comes Jesus. He's going to help us. He's going to get rid of the Roman 
the Romans and give us our freedom back. And, you know, Jesus was, that wasn't his purpose. So he's telling his disciples, hey, just so you know, this is not why I'm here. I'm here to bring peace between God and sinners. This is my purpose. Romans 4, 25 to 5, 1 says, He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But let's talk about the sword part. As much as the gospel brings peace between God and sinners, it also brings division between those aligned with Jesus and those who reject them. And I think we all have friends and family members that we know that we have division with because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Risks within our families, things that we can't talk about or maybe our hot buttons that we talk about our faith and then, you know, something comes across that, yeah, you're just, you know, whatever it may be. And so there can be a sword in our relationship is what he's talking about. And so Jesus is, is not trying to bring unnecessary conflict. That's not his purpose. He wants all to be saved. But we need to know that there is tension, right, between the kingdom of the world being at war with the kingdom of God. And so this is going to happen. And, and this is what happened with uh, the Jews at the time of Isaiah because God was trying to get their attention and they were at war with them. They were wanting to do their own thing. And God sent Isaiah, but they still wouldn't listen. So this is the tension. So Jesus saying, I did not come to bring peace from a political perspective. I want to bring peace in terms of... Um, restoration between God and sinners. But yet here we are, and we've got to pray for those that have yet made a to make a decision for Jesus Christ, right? And uh, we just need to keep doing it, and we can be discouraged, but we need to just keep, keep at that. And so our Advent season points to Jesus' first arrival that brought peace with God and division with the world. As we talk about Jesus, this baby, the Savior, and again, this anticipation and this preparation, this excitement, and we should be excited as we're just days away from celebrating with our entire church family, and we're going to have a great time of celebration, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. But we have to make sure that we have the right preparation in our hearts, and, and so... We can't be consumed with things that are going to take that away, steal our joy or our peace. We know there's a second advent, right? And Jesus won't be coming as a baby. He'll be coming as a king. And Jesus will usher in eternal peace for his people at his second coming. And we can have an anticipation and preparation for that. And some of you may say, Jesus, come quickly. <laughs> come now. Jesus, take me away. Not Calgon, take me away, but Jesus, take me away. Uh, but there's reasons why he has not come now. And part of it is because he wants more people coming to him to the kingdom. So that means we still have a job to do, to reach out to those that have not made a decision for Jesus Christ. So what does he promise? Let's look at verse 7 going to read it again of Isaiah 9. It says, there will be no end to the increase of his kingdom or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. See, this is going to happen because of this child that was born to us, this son that was given to us, this wonderful counselor, this 
mighty God, this eternal Father, this Prince of Peace. You see, Jesus is not only the author of peace and the dispenser of peace, but he also rules by peace. This Prince has a government for he has all power both in heaven and in earth and his government increases as his government increases and is, is daily more and more extended. It will continue to increase until all things are put under his feet. And his kingdom will not be established through the ways of the world, not by overthrowing governments or by intimidation or violence or political persuasion, but his administration shall be managed by I love these words, justice and righteousness. It will be right the way that he administrates. And the word zeal, the zeal of the Lord reflects man and intense enthusiasm or desire by God to establish his kingdom. He, guys, he's jealous for us. He's zealous I mean, the opposite of zeal is apathy and indifference and neglect and laziness and dullness, but he is so zealous that his love was so deep and unchangeable that he sent Jesus Christ as a redeemer for our sins. That is the zeal he has for us. He just wasn't one that said, eh, I'll just send Jesus, take care of it. There's an excitement on our God, Amen. He wants everybody to be saved. And he sent Jesus. I mean, that was quite a price that was paid for our salvation because of the zealous love that he has for us. And so what a great message of hope and joy and peace. As we look back at the Jews when Isaiah was there, God sought a relationship with them and he wanted them to focus on him, not to take their eyes off of him and behave badly as they did. And he wanted them to have peace in light of the promise of this child that would be born and save the world of their sins. And that's true for us today. He wants the same for us today. See, Jesus Christ is our Prince of Peace. He is our Shalom. And we've got just a few days left. As the worship team can start coming out here. Four days away from celebrating the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you experiencing the peace of Jesus Christ right now? Or are you perhaps consumed with so many things? Maybe as we're here tonight, you've got a list of things you've got to get done that you're working on, crossing off your list. Or maybe your mind is just preoccupied with who we've got to visit and what we've got to do and all these things and just stealing that sense of peace just to focus on Jesus' cross. And as we look at this cross, that's why he was born. He was born to die for our sins out of love. That's too great a gift for us not to make Jesus Christ the centerpiece, the central focus of our time during these remaining days of our Advent season. Would you agree? This anticipation and preparation. So what can we do? Well, I would suggest that we find some way in the next few days, even tonight, we're going to have a time of communion in just a, a moment, to just have a Selah moment, to unplug, to pause, to put all the busyness and stress and all that stuff aside and say, Lord, just take that away from me. I, I want to focus on Jesus Christ, why he came. I want to celebrate his birth and why he came to die for my sins. 
I want to talk to the Lord. And if there's anything that you need to do business with him, assess where you're at. And maybe there's something in your life you need to repent or give over to him. Now may be a great time to do that. And so as we are here, we've got some, some time and I'm going to have Pastor Shane do some music. And what we're going to do, I'll move the, the table over. We're going to take some time and we're going to take communion. And as we know, Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room. And as he was with them, he, he broke the bread and he said, this represents my body that was beaten and bruised for you. Remember, Scripture says that he was beaten so bad you could hardly recognize him as a man. And this cup represents my blood that was shed for your sins. And he said, do this in remembrance of me and the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, for often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, yes, he is the Prince of Peace. He came as a baby for the purpose of dying on the cross for you and for me and for this world. And so we celebrate that but we don't want to lose focus with all this busyness and stress and chaos. Let's let the chaos go away and let's just spend some time with the Lord. And so what I'm going to have you do is come forward, take the bread and the cup, go back to your seats, spend some time with the Lord. And when you feel it's time, just take the elements by yourself. And um, I'll have Pastor Shane close um, but I'll just close this right now at this time and then um, come forward. I'll move the table over so it's in the center. So let's pray. Well, Father, thank you for our time tonight. Thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, was sent as our Prince of Peace. And as we celebrate this time of Advent, as it's coming to a close, really within the next few days as we celebrate Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Lord, we don't want to be preoccupied with things that take us away from the true meaning of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you help us refocus? Would you help us jettison all the things that keep us busy and keep us from really just sitting at your feet, so to speak, and taking you in? May we be Marys and not Marthas. And so, Lord, may you be glorified in our worship. May you speak to our hearts. May you commune within us. May you increase your relationship with us. We love you. We thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.